Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Kyle Roth. Dr. Kyle Roth has been a practicing dentist since 1999 and has owned and operated 34 practices since graduating from the University of North Carolina. That's right. You heard me correct. 34 practices. He is the founder and owner of Encompass Dental Transitions, one of the fastest growing dental transition companies in the United States. Today, he's our guest on Financial Flossing. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right. So we got to jump right in here. You start out as an accountant and uh, you saw the error of your ways. That's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> and you said, I want to go to dental school. And you came out of dental school. So you were kind of like older guys in your class. And next thing you know, you own 34 practices. So I know it's a long story, but kind of give me the Reader's Digest version. How'd that happen? Well, I'll try to make it as quick as possible. I And it actually was 36 practices. Uh, I've got oh, wow. four, four remaining. I've sold 32. But uh, I graduated an older student and uh, one of the oldest in my class. And I, I was a hockey player. In an, I've been in and out of dental offices my whole life. And uh, I kind of watched the, the dentist, my local dentist I was going to see. Every time I went to see him, he was kind of a cool guy. And I said, I wish I had done something like this. He talked to me and uh, he said, you know, uh, six more years of school for you to go back. He goes, I could do that standing on my head. If this is something you want to do, do it. Long story short, I go back and graduate and realize that, you know, I'm not going to have as many years in my career as everybody else. So I need to hit it hard. I built a beautiful practice, you know, right at graduation time. Moved in there, and the practice was getting busy very slowly, but it was getting busier. In the meantime, I was I was uh, moonlighting in a different office and uh, working with Medicaid. It's more of a clinic setting, but I said, "Hmm, maybe I'll introduce some Medicaid to this office." So I introduced just a little bit. I wanted to do it until my practice got busy enough for the full fee for service practice. Introduced them. We got a lot of traction. Eventually, I built a second practice, moved all of the Medicaid to that practice. So I had a beautiful fee-for-service practice, beautiful Medicaid practice. And my uh, supply guys, equipment guys said, wow, you should do that in another location, of course, because they're going to sell more stuff. So I tried it one more location and everybody freaked out because nobody had multiple offices back then. Very, very few people did. My wife said, well, maybe a third, no more after that. But it was a smashing success. I did it for a little while. And then I had a big corporation come to me after I had five practices. And they said, we want to buy everything you have. I had been out of school for four years. I said, well, I kind of have to consider it because I'm making good money, but I don't have anything in the bank. I sold everything. I moved to the rural areas because I had non-competes you know, close to the offices I was in. 
went to the rural areas for uh, three, four, five years, then came back to the uh, to the metropolitan areas and just continue what I'm doing. So it's uh, we've had a little bit of everything. We've had Medicaid offices, high end fee for service practices. We've had a mobile unit We've had a little bit of everything. And so you transitioned into dental brokering through your bad experience with a broker. And you're like, I can do better than this. Is that right? Yeah, that's the truth. The very first transaction we went through was painful. The broker's a nice guy, but it's it was a little bit old school. And all they did was advertise back in the day. They put it on their website and they put it in you know North Carolina Dental Society. They put a few listings out there and that's it. There was no working the account. I didn't have any representation at closing. They weren't there for me at closing. I had an eight-hour closing on my first five five practices. And uh, I got beaten to death by the guy that was buying from me. I had no support, nobody holding my hand through the whole process. My uh, attorney just came up with a, with a, with a closing statement, with a, uh, a contract that he, he did the best he could, but it was not very dental specific. And I said, there's got to be something better than this. I've got eight years of accounting uh, and finance and I've got dentistry behind me. I think I can put this together. I've got passion for this, and I think I can help people. So you, so you're, you're still building practices. You've got you know thirty some odd practices. You're still building them. You start brokering practices kind of on the side as a hobby. Is that right? Correct. Correct. And um, kind of enjoying it, helping people out. And then some people come to you and say, "Hey, Kyle, uh, we think you could take this to another level." Yeah, there was a couple of young friends of mine who had a lot of energy and they could see what I was doing just as, you know, on the side for making a few extra bucks. They're like, we can do some good stuff with this. And I was not a big social media guy and everything. And they were. And they just, they were big into uh, email blasts and social media. And we built the social media followers to 40,000 followers. Uh, we are now in contact with 110,000 dentists across the country. We have 23 speaking gigs at dental schools across America this year lined up. Wow. And uh, we're just in front of everybody all of the time. And we now have a uh, Eastern European headquarters in Tirana, Albania. And I have an entire marketing team over there working everything all of the time. And so you're one of the biggest and fastest growing brokers in the country now. 100%. So let's talk about the broker, the state of the uh, the brokerage, dental brokerage world, because uh, that's where everyone wants to know. We have DSOs taking over the world and people love the DSOs, people hate the DSOs. Right. I was talking with someone last week on the podcast and they said um, uh, they were with the ADA uh, transitions and they said that currently DSOs represent only about 11% of practices, which I was surprised the number was that low. She said that obviously they're growing, but she was optimistic that they would not dominate and become more than half the market. Now, I know some people who are very skeptical and they feel like in 10 years, a private practice will be a thing of the past. What is your opinion on what you're seeing out there? Well, when I first moved to North Carolina, there were private pharmacies everywhere. And the pharmacists had a good little gig going, you know, they could 
they sold the drugs, but they sold greeting cards and magazines and even fountain drinks in the Carolinas. It was people would come for fresh squeezed lemonade and and now they're almost completely extinct. And I saw it happen in a, in a matter of 10 years. They were yeah, gone. CVS and Walgreens. That's it. And the, the that's right. And the individual kind of solo pharmacy, you'll see one every now and then, but they're 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 unicorns. That's right. And the same with uh, general physicians. How many family physicians do you see anymore? They're just not out there. It's they're part of a hospital group. They're owned by hospitals and universities. And yeah. So it's, um, I don't see that. I think it's going to be a huge part. I think right now they're buying the most profitable offices out there, the million dollar six operatory practices. But at, at some point, they're going to dial it in. They're going to get the rest of them. I really believe that. And how long do you think it's going to take for them to take the majority of the market? Do you think it's 10 years? Do you think it's 20 years? What do you think? I think it's going to be absolutely amazing what they're going to accomplish in the next 10 years. Because there's not just a few big DSOs anymore. Now there are hundreds of them. They're everywhere. Well, dentists are starting their own now. They're like, let's, if we yeah. can't beat them, let's just do our own DSO. Wait That's right. That's right. Which if you hate DSOs, I'd rather, you're better off joining one run by dentists because they're kind of on the same team, if you will. That's right. And most of the time, the patients can't tell the difference. That's right. I mean, I've heard stories of them ruining the name of a dentist, but but, uh, you hear those stories. That's Um, right. So let's kind of talk numbers here. So let's suppose that I'm John Doe dentist here. Like I literally just got a call an hour before this podcast from a client. Okay. You know, I'm 44. I think he is probably 44 or 45. And he was approached by a broker and he thinks that the broker thinks he can get him a really big number. And it's a big number. And I'm like, I'm personally not a big retirement guy. I think you got to be doing something. Otherwise, you're just going to die. But he said, he goes, I wanted to go 10 more years. I'm like, well, you're going to have a five year earnout. He's like, yeah. I was like, but with this type of number, it's, it's, worth doing maybe. I was like, well, it's always worth looking at. So when you go down this road, I mean, if I'm John Doe dentist and I've got a good practice, you know, what's the difference in a DSO offer versus, you know, Tim Jones coming to buy buy a practice from me? Um, walk us through the options as you're, as you're brokering a practice, what you see out there. Well, first of all, you've got to decide whether you are even a good DSO candidate or not. The DSOs. Oh, that's good. Talk about that. Yeah. So it's important. The DSOs typically are looking for six operatories or more and a million dollars worth of collections. And that's just their starting point. EBITDA is a big thing that they're looking at. They want the thing to be earning too, not just collecting and expenses going down to zero. So they need a doctor that's going to stay minimally two years. That's what I'm hearing. And often as many as five years, their earnout is, it can be five years. They are looking for some markets, metropolitan areas that are hot right now. They don't want to be in a dying city. So there's a lot of things that they want the ability to expand too. If there's a a space next door that they can bump into and make it even bigger, they love that. DSOs love that. They don't want to be hidden in an old office park. Like a lot of old dentist offices were just invisible. You just had to know where to go find it. Now it's cool to be in a shopping center next to, you know, Starbucks with a lot of roadside traffic, lots of visibility, all of those things come into play and lots and lots of new patients. Um, So 
what are you seeing like how realistic are dentists on the valuation of their of their practice are most people in line or are they are they completely clueless well for me the older dentists keep coming up to me and telling me that it's the average of their last year three years of collections and that's what it's based on and really that can't be further from the truth anymore now the banks want to know what have you done for me lately what have you done in the last 12 months if Two years ago, you were killing it. Now you've decided to take Friday off. Now you're taking Thursday off. Now you're uh, Wednesday, you're working a half day. The numbers are dying. It looks like a dying practice. The banks are going to have a really, really difficult time discerning the difference between the doctor taking time off and just the practice dying altogether, you know? So it's, um, you know, that's what I'm, that's the kind of stuff I'm seeing. Is there a typical multiple of EBITDA that you're saying that they want? For the DSOs, I'm seeing anywhere from three to 10 times EBITDA. And that depends on how many locations, what their EBITDA is. It depends on the number of patients, the, how badly they want that market. Right now, I'm working on one in Tennessee that I'm, I'm going for 10 times. And these people have not been out of school that long, and they've they've got uh, a couple practices that are doing really really well, and they're going to be set for life. So, to me, when the market is as hot as it is right now, if you can make thirty million dollars when you haven't even been out of school ten years, why not? It doesn't mean you have to stop working. You have to earn some of that out anyway. You're going to have to be spending two to three to four years there, maybe. And you don't even have to do dentistry. Not everybody wants to do dentistry their whole life. Some people get into it and they go, huh, I'm not sure I want to do that. So I'm happy doing what I'm doing right now. I love dentistry. I had a lot of passion for it, but I like this even better because I can do this sitting in uh, Columbia, South America, somewhere on a beautiful uh, balcony overlooking the water and uh, or anywhere, anywhere that I got Wi-Fi, I can do it. So it's using all the knowledge I got from all of the years spending time in continuing education courses, working with my staff, working with other doctors. Uh, we still get to use all that information. It's not the end of the road if you don't want to. How much of this is interest rate driven by private equity? So if, I mean, companies, investors are starving for yield with super low interest rates. If rates go up this year, like they're allegedly going to, and if they continue to go up, will that slow down the DSO market? It depends how much it go up. I imagine it will slow a little bit because the, the numbers are almost uh, silly right now, what people are paying. And even individuals are paying in hot markets, ridiculous prices. It's the highest I've ever seen in 18 years of doing this. It's, um, but you wish I, you I, had your 32 practices back so you could resell them right now. I wish I had all 36 <laughs> and I would unload them right now for a ridiculous number. But my wife reminds me, that if you hadn't unloaded a few every year, every you know, I'd unload one or two or three. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have gotten to enjoy it all along, you know? And yeah, here I am, I'm, I'm going to turn 60 this year, but I've been doing this for a long time. I haven't worked on a patient in three years, at least. And I don't really want to. I miss the patients as people, but I don't miss doing composite fillings and, you know, crowns. So I, I've probably said this a hundred times. I work with dentists all day, every day. I've got you know clients all over the country as a financial advisor. And I see two extremes. I see the dentist 
who owns a job, makes, you know, probably 250 to 350. It's a good job, but it's a job. And then you have the opposite end. You have a business owner who happens to be a dentist. And I've seen them as high as $3 million in income. Now, I'm sure there's people with more. Obviously, the business owner who happens to be a dentist is going to sell for more to a DSO. And that's who the DSO is. That's their ideal candidate. Is that correct? Right, right. That's correct. They, The business owner who is a dental practice owner now typically does a better job of controlling expenses, keeping the books clean, not mixing household expenses in with you know the books of the company, not mixing multiple companies together, uh, not making horrible purchase decisions. I see a lot of dentists Every time they go to a continuing education show, they come home with another $50,000, $100,000 gadget that when I go visit their offices, they're sitting in the corner. They tried them once or twice. It didn't work out. And now it's just, they've got a bunch of dirty scrubs hanging on the machine. So I just think that the the uh, dentists who were former business people, business owners, they do seem, they set themselves up better when it comes time to sell to a DSL. So if you're the dentist who owns a jo- who owns a job, as I described, which is not a negative connotation, it's just a description. It's some people are more wired for that. Some people like that more. That's fine. Are they candidates to sell to a DSO or are they more candidates to sell to an aspiring dentist who wants to own their own practice? Either or. Uh, it just depends Like on a lot of things. There's some doctors that would say, I will never take the practice that I've built and my father and I built it together or my brother and I built it together. We know all these families and I'm not going to turn it over to a big DSO who's just going to run a bunch of people through there and not keep the standards of care that we had all of these years. So there's a lot of doctors that absolutely refuse. I've, I've heard that. I've heard that. And they will tell me, no, they don't care how much they get. It's I've heard people talk about it's the, the legacy of your practice. What what That's do you right. want? That's right. That's right. So let's suppose, you know, it's not the guy I was talking about who just out of blue gets an offer or you who just got an offer out of blue. Let's suppose someone says, hey, I'm 55 years old. I'd like to be done by 60 or 65. You know, how many years before they, quote, retire, should they get a valuation on their practice? Five years is what I tell everybody. And the reason being because a lot of times they think their practice is worth more than it really is. And what I what I suggest is people get it like an express valuation. I can talk to them for 20 minutes, look at their office, just look at some comps and tell them what their office is approximately worth. If they go, whoa, I thought it was worth a lot more than that, you've got five years to make some corrections. And I've got lots of ideas. If you want to talk about those things, some of the things you need to do to get your office ready to sell so that it can sell at top dollar rather than. Well, let's give me a bullet point list, just kind of rapid fire. What are those things? Well, first of all, to get your office ready, it's got to have some technology in it. Believe it or not, there are still lots and lots of doctors with dark rooms. And they've got paper charts, not digital charts. They've got maybe one computer at the front desk. They have no intro or cameras. They have no digital sensors, no nothing, really. Wow. The last time they rented their, their uh, waiting room was in somewhere in the 1980s. They've got brass fixtures everywhere. Their paintings are uh, faded. 
everything is dull. It looks like a funeral home in there. And they have 30 to 35 years worth of stacked up gadgets and pictures. And, and the waiting room is littered with uh, signs that say, no checks, no cell phones, no this, no that. And it's just, you know, pamphlets everywhere. It's So there, there are things they can fix. So technology is important, cosmetic transitions, simple things like paint and flooring and LED lighting and just decorations in the waiting room. That's all inexpensive. If you don't get those things done, there's some of these practices, I can't even give them away because the typical buyer that comes been out of school for two, three, four years, he looks in there and he's got a dark room. He's never developed film in his life. Oh, wow. He's never done a paper chart. He's never seen a paper chart. The other thing, you, you've got to keep your foot to the floor. You cannot coast into retirement, start taking more and more days off and telling me that the, the bank will understand that you know they want to take more days off. The, we did this much three years ago, and now we're doing this. The bank will not understand. Hygiene production has got to be 25% or greater. It's great to keep your hygiene department just stacked full of business. Market if you need to. Bring in another hygienist if you need to. Marketing is super important. Your schedule, when they come in and look at your office and they see empty schedules and stuff, it's not going to really bode well for your for your sale. There are people going to go, whoa, this looks scary. Uh, so keep the uh, the schedule super built, uh, busy. If you've got a fee-for-service only office and it's kind of dying out and your number of new patients is six a month, maybe you'll want to take on a few PPOs. I know that's a bad word and some people would rather die than do something like that. But if you want to sell your practice and get a number at the end, a good number at the end, you might have to consider doing it. Turnkey office versus renovations. People want to be able to visualize it. Like I can come in here and do dentistry tomorrow and not have to change a thing. So that's one of the biggest things. Some, those are some of the biggest things I see. And also not referring out all your specialty stuff. Oh, I don't like to do endo. I don't like to do surgery. Fine. Either learn to do some of those procedures or bring in some specialists on a few days to do that in your office. So the numbers stay in your office. Yeah, I see a lot of the real successful practices. They do most of the specialties on the right. right. And uh, and so it's uh, it, it's interesting you say that. So, you know, so let's talk a little bit in the last few minutes we have here. So your firm Encompass, you know, you obviously broker these things. So if people want to broker their practice, they should be reaching out to you. Now, I told you earlier offline, kind of what I've seen, I've seen some unethical brokers who double dip on buyer and seller side, which you would agree that is unethical, correct? 100%. And if you're selling to a DSO, not all the time, but some, if not many of the times, the DSO will pay the brokerage fee, correct? The DSO will, to a point, pay the brokerage fee. Uh, and it depends on how badly they want the practice, right? So I at least to try to get a couple of points. If I'm charging 5%, if I can get the DSO to pay 2 or 3%, that's amazing. If they want it, they'll pay the whole 5%. If they want it bad enough, especially if you've got eight DSOs, like we've got right now on a Tennessee practice, eight people, eight different groups looking at the same one, they all want it. I think they're going to pay the whole thing. So hot markets, Charleston, South Carolina, Dallas, uh, Dallas, Texas, um, 
Charlotte, Raleigh. Uh, there's some areas that are so hot that the DSOs are killing it right now. So what is the uh, standard brokerage fee? Standard brokerage fee, old school is 10%. You know, it's a 10%. But for me, it depends on a lot of things. It's anywhere from 5 to 10%. And that depends. It's easier for me to sell, believe it or not, a $2 million practice than to sell a $600,000 practice. A $600,000 practice at this point, if they've got an associate working in there, is making almost nothing, okay? And the banks don't want to lend on that because it assumes unless you grow the practice, the, the doctor working there won't make anything. A $2 million practice is typically making, you know, five. per year. It's easier for me to sell that. And in hot markets, it makes it even easier. So I can reduce my fees down to closer to 5% for the stuff that's going to go quickly. If it's a a practice producing 300,000 and it's in a rural area and they're only open two days a week, it's going to last a long time. Uh, uh, I'm going to have it listed for a long time and that's going to be a 10%er. So tell us a little bit about what differentiates Encompass versus the typical broker. I think the difference with Encompass is bar none, there's there's nobody that can keep up with the amount of marketing we do. This uh, Albanian marketing group has been the best thing I've ever done. It's I was there, um, my friend's got a film company in Tirana, I was there visiting and uh, they shot a documentary, a travel documentary with me in it this past year. And I got to know a bunch of guys there graduating from school. And the average Albanian makes, uh, I think, $8,000 a year after college. Oh, my gosh. They speak three or four languages. Their English is amazing. And they're very, very hungry. They actually want to work. So I put a few ads over there and, and uh, I got dozens and dozens of really good applications, highly energetic people. I developed a team and I actually have a a headquarters in Tirana in the capital city. And uh, they work the marketing more than anything I've ever seen before. We're we're in touch with 110,000 dentists nationwide on email blasts where we got 40,000 followers on social media, where, like I said before, we're speaking to 23 dental schools across the country. We get in front of dental groups all the time. Uh, we do whatever it takes to be seen. And we do video. We do informational video. We do silly videos, but we just have fun. That's great. That, I mean, that's, that's just fantastic. And so, so you really are, you're marketing this thing nationwide, you know, dare I say worldwide. And you've done this quite frankly, more times personally as the owner than most brokers have actually done themselves. In addition to that, you've done it as a broker, you know, however many times, a lot over, and you have an inside understanding of the industry because you've been in for so long and you're a dentist and you understand the ins and outs. Well, and I, and I think one of the biggest things is we were designed, this whole company was designed around dentists helping dentists, not an attorney, not an accountant, not to say that those guys can't come up with beautiful valuations and they sell the practice, but we are intimately involved with all of the equipment, with all of the knowledge. We can, I can walk into an office in five minutes. I know all of the equipment. I've had it all before. 
in 36 practices, I've had every dental chair, every piece of equipment ever out there. And my brokers are dentists. And some of my brokers are dentists where we sold their practice. Then they came in, they came oh, into our wow. And they make the, the very best brokers, right? Because they said, Encompass took good care of us. And now I'm here to do the same for you guys. So that's, I mean, that, I mean, that's, that's fantastic. So if someone's like, Hey, I'm considering selling my practice, you know, I like what Kyle's saying, how should they get in touch with you? How can they get in touch with you? Well, there's a lot of different ways. Give us every, every single way. Give us all, let them all. <laughs> well, we are on Instagram. We are on LinkedIn. We are on Facebook. I've got a website and I've sent that all to you. I don't know if it'll be posted here at some point in time. No, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes, but I want you to say it out loud. Give them your phone number, email address, so they can hear it right down when they listen to this. I'm going to write, I'm going to save my phone number. If you want to reach me, it's 919-395-0444. Say it again. And, okay. 919-395-0444. Perfect. Okay. And it's www.encompass-ihc.com. IHC is integrated healthcare.com. But at the end, you'll have some notes up there that'll tell we've got everything every way. Instagram is the way people reach me most because we have a lot of followers on there. They're very active. We've actually got 4,000 dental students on there, even following us. And uh, it's very, very, very active. And it's the reach that we have now is incredible. That's fantastic. Very exciting. I mean, that, that, that's really, really cool. So, so, Hey guys, I mean, if, you, if you're, if you're in the market to sell your practice, which everyone is at some point, um, you know, Kyle is definitely one of the top guys in the country that you should be talking to Kyle. We're, we're out of time, but it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It's been absolutely fascinating. I really enjoy, I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. All right, guys, you've been listening to Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brandon. So tune in next week when we come back again. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brandon, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brandon, visit rossbrannon.com. Registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0L10073. Arkansas Insurance License Number 1613932. 2021 1195.35. Expires 423. That last part can also say 2021. 119535, expiration April 2023. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. 
Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664, Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian North Florida. Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas insurance license number 16139032. California insurance license number 0L10073. 2022 1338890. Expiration 0224. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.